Modern Fairies and Lonely Ladies, Podcast Series 1, Episode 3, Helpful Fairies. Hello, this is Faye Heald. And this is Caroline Larrington. In the first episode in this series, we introduced our project, Modern Fairies and Lonely Ladies. In this project, we research traditional tales about fairies in the British Isles, and then investigate how some contemporary musicians, writers and artists remediate or are inspired by those tales to make new works of art that speak to our modern lives. In today's episode, we're going to talk about stories where humans and fairies assist one another, using their quite different kinds of skills to improve life for struggling humans or fairies who find themselves in temporary trouble. These tales often point to the moral that generosity and open-heartedness is rewarded. Here are two tales from Scotland which show fairies and humans interacting in a friendly way with one another. Here's Brian McMahon again. These are two stories from the West Highlands. Borrowing Oatmeal One day, as a mother was sitting rocking her baby to sleep, she was surprised on looking up to see a lady of elegant and courtly demeanour so unlike anyone she had ever seen in that part of the country, standing in the middle of the room. She had not heard anyone enter, therefore you may judge it was with no little surprise, not unmingled with curiosity, that she rose to welcome her strange visitor. She handed her a chair, but she very politely declined to be seated. She was very magnificently attired, Her dress was of the richest green, embroidered round with spangles of gold, and on her head was a small coronet of pearls. The woman was still more surprised at her strange request. She asked in a rich, musical voice if she would oblige her with a basin of oatmeal. A basin full to overflowing was immediately handed to her, for the woman's husband, being both a farmer and miller, had plenty of meal at command. The lady promised to return it, and named the day she would do so. One of the children put out her hand to get hold of the grand lady's spangles, but told her mother afterwards that she felt nothing. The mother was afraid the child would lose the use of her hands, but no such calamity ensued. It would have been very ungrateful in her fairy majesty if she had struck the child powerless for touching her dress, if, indeed, such powers were hers. But to return to our story... The very day mentioned, the oatmeal was returned, not by the same lady, but by a curious little figure with a yelping voice. She was likewise dressed in green. After handing the meal, she yelped out, meal! It's the top pickle of the sin corn! It was excellent, and what was very strange, all the family were advised to partake of it. When sickness came shortly afterwards, the whole family survived, but there was one servant lad who spurned the fairy's meal, and he died shortly after. The miller and his wife firmly believed it was because he refused to eat the meal. They also firmly believed that their first visitor was no less a personage than the queen of the fairies, who, having dismissed her court, had not one maid of honour in waiting to obey her commands. A few nights after this strange visit, as the miller was going to bed, a gentle tap was heard at the door, and on its being opened by him with a light in his hand, there stood a little figure dressed in green, who, in a shrill voice but very polite manner, requested him to let on the water and set the mill in order, for she was going to grind some corn. The miller did not dare to refuse, so did as she desired him. She told him to go to bed again, and he would find all as he had left it. 
he found everything in the morning as she said he would. So much for the honesty of fairies. Dunvulig's on fire. Fairies were very friendly to some people whom they favoured, but equally mischievous where they took a dislike. A hill in the farm of Dunvulig in Craignish was one of their favourite haunts, and on a certain occasion they offered to assist an honest tenant's wife in the neighbourhood, for whom they had a kindness, to manufacture a quantity of wool she had for clothing for her family. She was very glad to have their services, and being always an active race, they set to work directly, repeating a song. Teasing, carding, mixing, distaff, weaving, loom, water for walking on the fire, the thrifty housewife herself is the best at sitting up late. In the heat of their operations, an envious neighbour came to the door, crying, Dunvulig's on fire. Dunvulig's on fire, Dunvulig's on fire, was re-echoed by all the little company. Dunvulig's on fire, my hammers and my anvil, my hammers and my anvil, my little children and my grown men, my little children and my grown men. And they all scampered off, but not till they had nearly finished the housewife's weaving. So, in the boring oatmeal story, then, the open-hearted generosity of the householder really paid off. Definitely, yes. So the fairy leaves them with something not just equal to what they borrowed, but with a, an added special gift that the, the fairies can see something coming in the future and helps the family overcome that. Yeah, and then when it comes <laughs> as a kind of surprise, doesn't it, to the family, that they didn't know that the fairy would repay them with kind of extra interest, as it were. But they just reached out to someone in trouble and shared the kind of quite meagre resources that they have. Yes, there's the poor chap who decides not to eat it, though, doesn't there? And he perishes and dies. So I'm not quite sure where that fits with fairy eating fairy food, because isn't there a bit of a taboo about eating food? Yes, and I think that it kind of pulls against that in some way. If you eat fairy food when you're below ground in the fairy world, you are prone to then develop a kind of addiction to it, and you want to keep going back and getting more and more. And it can end up with your pining and dying, particularly if if people, Christians, the priests, the mother, stop people from going into fairyland to get a fix, then it all becomes rather dangerous. But I think perhaps in these Scottish tales, the, the fairies are bringing a, a magic fairy substance out of fairyland into the human world. Mm. But I think probably, you know, the poor chap who doesn't eat it is being quite cautious and being quite God-fearing in a way. Mm. Yeah, so there's a difference between being given a gift and being rewarded for something you did or just consuming and partying as part of the fairy dance. Yes, I think it's the attractions of the other world that drag you away from real human existence that is such a danger there. Mm. Interesting. And it's also interesting in the second story, I think, how we get the sense of the kind of endless work that women have to do, <laughs> particularly in clothes manufacture, starting right from taking the wool off the sheep and going all the way through the, the spinning and the weaving and so on. Yes, and that the fairies just come and, it seems quite altruistically, just help get through that work. They're not looking to get anything out of it, particularly themselves. They... Yeah, they just like her. Mm. And there's other stories, aren't there, where people, where fairies can mill people's grain for them? or so It's not just in clothing. There's all sorts of trades that fairies will come and do. Yes, well, sometimes there's stories about elves, which have the same kind of structure, where you have the, the helpful elves who help the cobbler and they 
do his work for him overnight. Mm. And in those stories, if you try and reward the other world being, it takes offence and clears off because mm. it's doing it out of love, not for kind of gain. But in this story, it's, it's rather saddening in a way to see that the envious neighbour just blows everything up. Yeah, not very kind. <laughs> not going to do anyone any good, is it, though? No. Um, and it's also, I guess it's quite striking that the the fairies, as they run away, they're shouting, oh, my smith's tools, which is quite interesting, given the, the normal idea of fairies not getting on well with iron. But also my, my man, my children, my family. So the kind of fairy families in the hill, just like human families. Mm, they share the same concerns. If their village is on fire, they need to go and save themselves so yes they will do altruistic and good things for us but uh, not at the at a price to themselves yeah so they're kinder perhaps than we might have thought so while sometimes these fairies are coming and doing work for us and uh, putting their skills into practice and using their magic for the benefit of humans as in giving you magic oatmeal or getting your work done for you they also uh, pass on their skills and enhance the human ability as well in some cases, don't they? Yeah, there's another interesting, again, a Scottish changeling story where a smith's son is snatched away by the fairies and eventually the father comes and rescues him from the fairy mound and discovers that although the father's an excellent smith, the son is even better because he's learnt strange fairy metalworking trades. And so after his time in the fairy mound, he's able to make a good living from the trade, which he wouldn't have had if he hadn't had that experience with the fairies. Mm, and in that tale, doesn't the son not speak for a year after coming out of fairy world, sort of suggesting maybe he was having quite a nice time there and yes. <laughs> didn't need to come back? Or else he's kind of traumatised. <laughs> the fairies don't want him to speak of what happened to him there. Okay. That's a possibility. That is interesting. And there's other skills as well, uh, musician skills. That's uh, There's lots of trowy tunes that I've heard around the place. So these are supposed to be tunes that have been learned from the fairies. So passing on their tunes, but also their musical abilities and, and to make magical, mystical and enchanted music. Yeah, and that's an example that differs from some of the other kind of fairy stories where going to fairyland and meeting the fairies has quite a detrimental effect on your life. But because they're skilled musicians already, when they go into the mound where they meet the trows, the Orkney and Shetland version of fairies, they give good entertainment to the other world creatures while they're there. And as a reward, they learn these wonderful magical tunes which they take away with them back to the outside world. Here's Lucy Farrell and Ewan McPherson playing the King of the Fairies. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was The King of the Fairies by Lucy Farrell and Ewan McPherson. Now, that is an old tune said to summon the king to any social gathering. So if you play it round three times, he will appear. And uh, depending on whether the party is to his liking or not, he might stay and join in. But if it's really not his taste, he can cause endless mischief and a great deal of problems. So Helpful Fairies is not just about fairies passing on skills to us and giving us wonderful music and wonderful food to eat, but they also need our help sometimes. And there's a few stories with humans being taken into the fairy world to be helpful. Yes, this is a story from Wales about a serving girl called Elian and her relationship with the Teleth Taig, the Welsh version of the fairies. And here's Brian McMahon to read it to us. Elian and the Teleth Taig. An old man and his wife lived at the Garth Dorwen in some period a long while ago. They went to Carnarfon to hear a servant maid at the All Hallows Fair. The custom then, for young men and women who stood out for places to station themselves at the top of the present maze by a little green eminence, which was where the present post office stands. The old man and his wife went to that spot and saw there a lass with yellow hair standing a little apart from all the others. The old woman went to her and asked her if she wanted a place. She replied that she did, and so she hired herself at once and came to her place at the time fixed. In those times it was customary during the long winter nights that spinning should be done after supper. Now the maid servant would go to the meadow to spin by the light of the moon, and the Teleth Teg used to come to her to sing and dance. But sometime in the spring, when the days had grown longer, Alien escaped with the Teleth Teg, so that she was seen no more. The field where she was last seen is to this day called Alien's Field, and the meadow is known as the Maid's Meadow. The old woman of Garth Dorwen was in the habit of helping women in childbed, and she was in great request far and wide. Sometime after Alien's escape, there came a gentleman on horseback to the door one night when the moon was full, while there was a slight rain and just a little mist, to fetch the old woman to his wife. So she rode off behind the stranger on his horse and came to Rossi Court. Now there was at that time in the centre of the Ross somewhat of a rising ground that looked like an old fortification with many big stones on the top and a large cairn of stones on the northern side. It is to be seen there to this day and it goes by the name of Bryn y Pibian. But I have never visited the spot. When they reached the spot, they entered a large cave, and they went into a room where the wife lay in her bed. It was the finest place the old woman had seen in her life. When she had successfully brought the wife to bed, she went near the fire to dress the baby, and when that was done, the husband came to the old woman with a bottle of ointment that she might anoint the baby's eyes but he entreated her not to touch her own eyes with it. Somehow, after putting the bottle by, one of the old woman's eyes happened to itch, and she rubbed it with the same finger that she had used to rub the baby's eyes. Then she saw with that eye how the wife lay on a bundle of rushes and withered ferns in a large cave with big stones all round her and with a little fire in one corner, and she saw also that the lady was only alien, her former servant girl, whilst with the other eye she beheld the finest place she had ever seen. Not long afterwards, the old midwife went to Carnarfon to market, when she saw the husband and said to him, How is Alien? 
She's pretty well, said he to the old woman. But with what eye do you see me? With this one was the reply. And he took a bulrush and put her eye out at once. So Elian turns out to be not such a great servant girl for her mistress if she's away with the fairies every full moon dancing on the <laughs> green. And I think you can understand in some ways why that kind of life with the fairies, even though it turns out to Christianise to be quite an illusion, is more attractive than just being a put-upon servant in the in the Welsh farm. Yeah, well, if you just get the one day off a month, then I suppose you'd want to go and dance with the fairies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's also... Notable, I think, that this midwife comes home with new information and with a reward. And that seems to be because her Christian faith allows her to see clearly. And so what looks like a a rich hall with a tapestried bed and, and fine hangings and carpets is actually nothing but an old cave with uh, straw on the floor and the girls lying on you know, pallets of straw. With Christian eyes, you can see that the fairy world is an illusion. Why do you think the fairies needed human help to deliver babies? It's interesting, isn't it? We're going to see in the next episode that humans give birth reasonably easily but fairies seem to have difficulty with it they always seem to need human help and fairy children don't thrive necessarily so there are reasons to swap your fairy child with a human child as we'll hear shortly another issue that fairies have is with iron isn't it so when they're needing to mend tools or make industrial artifacts they sometimes come for human intervention as well yeah there's a, another lovely welsh story where a ploughman is ploughing up and down the field and then he sees at the end of the field a tiny little shovel with a long handle which is the kind that you would use to put bread loaves into the ovens and with a long handle so you don't get burnt and the nail that secured the metal bit has come loose and he realizes that the the fairies need his help so at the end of the plough turn he nails the peel, as it's called, back together. And then he's rewarded with some delicious fairy loaves. Again, fairy loaves that have come out of fairyland and which are both tasty and healing. Mm. So there's a lovely symbiotic relationship going on here. The, the fairies don't just give us everything. They need us as well. And we're, we're two, two bodies that have to thrive off each other in order to, to really thrive. Yeah, we live side by side with the fairies. And sometimes we can see them, sometimes we can't. But cooperation, respect, promise-keeping, these are the things that stop the fairies being dark and malicious in the way that they can be. If you've enjoyed this podcast, join us in the next one in the series where we'll talk about fairies and children and the fear of the changeling. And if you happen to be able to come to the Sage Gateshead, there'll be a residency with open rehearsals and actual performances of the artist's new work in progress on April the 26th, 27th and 28th, 2018. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>